Welcome to HBCU 468, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden, and here are this week's Roden Fellows. I'm Paul Holston from Howard University in Washington, D.C. I'm Mania Shabazz from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana. And I'm Kyla Wright from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. Hello, everybody. And, uh, you know, we've got a um, a special guest, a smart guest, a beautiful guest who's in the studio with uh, her name is Kelly D. Evans. Uh, she's a writer and editor of the Uplift on the Undefeated uh, website. And, you know, like everybody, you know, just about everybody has been talking about and absorbed uh, with the NBA playoffs. And we're going to talk with Kelly because she's covered uh, the NBA. She's covered the Memphis Grizzlies. We'll get back to that in a minute. But, um, you know, everybody, everybody's been watching the NBA playoffs. And it's been like watching a movie. I don't know how you feel, Kelly. It's been like watching that movie. We all know what's going to happen. Uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be Cleveland. More than likely, it's going to be Cleveland, and it's going to be uh, Golden State. You know, uh, in fact, sometimes I wish that they would just kind of just end this punishment and just stop it, like stop it tomorrow. As a matter of fact, you know, just I mean, you know, really, how, how do you feel? I mean, you know, you you watched a lot of basketball, Kelly. Um, and by the way, we're recording from the beautiful studios. Uh, at the undefeated in Washington D.C., and um, you should see the setup here. Very casual, <laughs> <laughs> you know. You know, Kelly's kind of sitting here. You're kind of, you know, I'm sitting. You know, but anyway. But listen, uh, uh, I know that the, the fellows want to ask you a bunch of stuff. But what's been your impression so far of the NBA playoffs? And are are you ready just to jump ahead to, to Cleveland and uh, and Golden State? I am, but I'm not. I'm not because I don't want to rush this season. I don't want to. I'm not ready for NBA to end right now. But it's ended. I mean, for all practical purposes, really. I yeah, but I like it. I I come from a city. I covered the Grizzlies. Memphis is my hometown. Okay. So we did a lot of grit and grind work you know it was the city of we hope the underdog makes it so you can't help but watching watch some of the series and think you know is somebody gonna have are we gonna have an upset is something gonna happen so the anticipation that builds up to it is something that i really look forward to and because of i'm I'm a storyteller so i want to see narratives come out of this coming from memphis now I can say I'm a fan. Right. You know, of course we knew we wouldn't go too deep, but we still didn't want it to end. God. We still wanted the camaraderie. We still wanted to go see the games. So those fans aren't ready to go home. Same thing being in D.C. now. We knew how things would turn out, but I I wasn't necessarily ready for their season to end. I still would love for the Wizards to be playing here in the city. You know, I love the – the buzz of the city during the playoffs and how people come together, how the restaurants are filled with the NBA jerseys, how the players are excited. And when it's over, it's over. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, let me ask you a question. We talked about this 
last week, and I'm sure hey, hey, the, the fellows should want to chip in, but uh, we talked last week about the uh, the play where Kawhi Leonard was hurt, um, you know, when uh, he was run into. Um, did you think that was uh, – I know by now we've moved on and, you know, uh, the Spurs were destroyed and probably get destroyed again. But do you think that was a dirty play uh, when you watch it over and over and over again? Or do you think it's just basketball? Although I must say, being from Memphis – I was just about to say <laughs> you got there's a high ceiling about dirty, but but what you, you got to remember we had Mike Conley playing one a few one series in a face mask because right. he had surgery because his face got bashed in. Right. So for me, it happens. You know, I don't think it's dirty. I come from the I come from the old school where some of these calls that happen now would not have happened in right. the '90s. It wouldn't have happened in the '80s. Right. So for me, it's like I, I don't think it was dirty. I think it's just something that happens in basketball. I don't wimp? think it was intentional. Is this wimp ball? In other words, <laughs> no, when, that's it. I mean, do you think this era, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because we're separated probably by about, at least generously, about 20 years of that. But you still, and, and I don't know, fellas, how you guys feel, but are we watching this kind of wimp ball now? Um, Sometimes for me. I don't know about some of you fellows out there, but when I was younger and I had a bicycle, I didn't have a helmet. I didn't have <laughs> knee pads. I didn't have elbow pads. You know, we just got pushed out there. We rode our bikes, and it's like our parents want us to die. <laughs> you know, when I when, when I purchased a car, our seatbelts were optional. Right. You know, it wasn't a thing where you have to have seatbelts. It was something optional. So when I see little kids now, I'm like, this little wimp-ass kid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> you got to wear these elbow pads and knee pads to ride your bike. Get up. Right. So, you know, it's and that's probably, again, coming from Memphis, the players that we have, it's like you get up and play, you know. So I, I think injuries are real. And I think that these guys go out and they put their bodies on the line night in and night out at practice, during games. So I wouldn't call it wimp ball because of that. You know, I would never, if I had to physically exert myself on my job every day, how dare someone else say, you're playing wimp ball. Right. So I wouldn't say it because of that aspect, but I think some of the calls are, could be a little wimpy at times. But as far as someone physically being hurt, I definitely wouldn't say it's wimp ball. Mm-hmm. Hey, 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 Paul, Mania, Kyla, this is so you're, you're sort of the, uh, what do you call your generation? Um, millennials. Uh, millennials. What, what do you think? I mean, do you think that we, we, <laughs> are, are we looking at a a a a a, a weaker, uh, wimpier type of you know type of uh, type of ball type of existence? But yeah, this is Paul from Howard. Um, I feel that if I guess how I'm looking at the way that the game is being played now, I do feel that it's sort of being softened in a sense of the calls from the referees. I also feel that if the NBA was really concerned about the players in terms of their injuries, you know, the same way that they have um, equipment for the NFL and the MLB, you know, they would have the same way for NBA. I think when the game was created, I think it was intended that there would be a little scuffle. There would be a little roughing during um, actual play, uh, you know, especially if you've seen some of the 
plays that happened or the games that happened probably 30, 40, 50 years ago, it was a lot more rougher than it was now in terms of calls. Um, so while I feel, you know, I sort of feel that in lieu of that, that they're actually, you know, fans want to see that aggressiveness still. Because the NBA is, I mean, the, the league, it is aggressive. I mean, you got players who are 7 feet tall, 6 foot 11, anywhere between 200, you know, plus pounds. You know, these, are, these aren't these are just, this isn't like t-ball, you know. So <laughs> my, my personal opinion is it should be still that type of aggressiveness. But I can understand the consideration with how they're trying to be more careful. But... They still need to keep that in mind when it comes to what the fans want, which is that aggressive playing. Right. Well, the fans always want blood. I mean, that's it. You know, that's of course, the exactly. Way. So, <laughs> I mean, not too the much bloodier, blood, but just the bloodier, the bloodier, the better. <laughs> hey. Hi, Kelly. This is um, Mania from Grambling. I wanted to know what has been the most compelling storyline of the playoffs. For me, it's been um, the the um Boston Wizards series it went seven when John Wall hit that game-winning shot that was real that gave hope to a situation that everybody thought was pretty much like down gone it's over but that game-winning shot really gave a lot of momentum and that's what I live for. You know, for me, I covered the West. And the Western Conference Finals were far more dynamic than the East always. So to see that happen in the East was like, oh, my God, we have our separate series. You know, we're going seven games. So for me, the hope that the Wizards had, John Wall, they all came together. They started playing defense more because during the season, it was no defense. So that was the most compelling storyline for me. And then they melted like butter. They did. When they got to, like butter. They did. It happens. (laughs) (laughs) Let let, let me uh, ask you about this, uh, Kelly. Uh, The all-NBA team came out um, and sort of familiar suspects. Uh, Harden, of course, was on it. Uh, LeBron, you know, obviously was on it. Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. Um, any surprises to you? Not really. Now, see, I think they should they should strip Harden. Harden should not be allowed on anything that resembles an all pro team ever Why? again. Why, Bill? Did you see? Did you see the last? Did you did you see Kelly? Did you see? The, did you see the last game? So you're gonna let his entire season? Absolutely, because he's a fraud. Why? Why are you going well, in on that boy? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Have you ever seen? Have you? We have Clinton Yates in here. I, I, wanted, I, I wish you had a microphone. <laughs> Listen, I, I want to hear. Uh, did everybody on the line see the last? I hate to. I hate to go back on this because we're we're moving forward. But who have you ever seen? In your generation, in your generation, have you ever seen a superstar in a key game melt like that? In any sport, boxing, foot, sock, marble, have you ever seen a, 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 a superstar with a beard? Not a beard. <laughs> you know, I mean, seriously, Kelly. <laughs> as a competitor, as a competitor. Before I answer this, before I respond to Bill, fellows, don't let Bill influence you all to <laughs> answering that no, question they, they, wrong. <laughs> you, I, I get that, but well, what you still can't toss out his whole season 
because he flaked on one game. But then he was then he went to the then he went to the the, the show that <laughs> night and drank champagne. You want him to soak? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Soak. Give me some. I mean, act act like you're kind of disappointed. <laughs> Raise the roof. Anyway, I'm sorry. This is Kyla from Hampton. I agree with hey. Kelly. I'm not going to be swayed, but I definitely agree because, you know, John Wall had a bad game. James Harden had a bad game. Everyone has bad games in no matter what sport you're playing. And we're not perfect. We're human. So we can't take that one game, seven, away from all their accomplishments. I think they're all still great players. And we can't strip the whole season from one bad game. Everybody has that one bad game. So I agree with you, Kelly. I, I definitely agree. Thank you. Suck, sucking up. <laughs> Suck, sucking up. Yes. No. Okay, can I can I can I get a, a, a an amen from at least Paul Mania? Come on, Paul, join us. Won't you come? I mean, when it comes, I mean, when it comes to, <laughs> I mean, when it comes to a game that matters, I mean, you have to just keep that in mind. I mean, that's what separates the good from the great, and that's as best as I'm going to leave it from there before it gets more controversial. Well, we want to be controversial. I, mean, I, I would say that it all comes down to you um, cracking under the pressure. You know, you have to play your best every time. And I, I agree, even though that your best, you know, might not be the best to win, I, I do agree that it, it will upset a, a lot of fans. And, and fans expect you to play the best every time. You're getting paid to win. So when that doesn't happen, you know, it, it's a big upset. Listen, okay. Uh, uh, Kelly, look at look 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 at the people who are on this first team. Okay, LeBron James under pressure all the time. Russell Westbrook, he went out in a in a in a blaze of glory. Do you think Russell Westbrook would have went out? Uh, Anthony Davis, well, uh, Kawhi Kawhi Leonard, Kawhi. I mean, all of these. Uh, we're talking about effort, effort. Whether you're a writer at the undefeated or the what, you know, we're talking about. Effort. There was just no no effort that he does not belong on this team. Listen, listen. You hear this? You hear the sound? I'm scratching. <laughs> I'm scratching his name off. <laughs> anyway, I've uh, seen it before. I've seen it before. I've been there. Who? Who? I like saw that. It. Who? I. It, this is college. So right. when University of Memphis in Kansas. Oh, what that now? When Derrick Rose. Right. Right. So you had Mario Chalmers and Darrell Arthur that hit this did this have this game winning duo against the University of Memphis Tigers. Then you ask Derrick Rose what happened. He was like, "I was sick. I ate too many gummy bears." It's like, oh god. And really? you know what? And great. And look at so, where his career is now. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that doesn't mean James Harden will take that point. But I get it. I get it. I get how disappointing you not coming in for the clutch can be and how the effort wasn't there. But I just don't think we should just get away from his season. And you have to take into consideration Little B's curse. What? The curse. <laughs> the curse. You can't. Oh, man. He's cursed. Oh, oh you'll be hard. curse is real, though. Yeah. It's yeah. real in these streets. It's real. <laughs> yeah, whatever. He's, he's off my list. I guess, I guess it's Kelly D. Evans. He's a writer and editor of the Uplift on the Undefeated website. And uh, they're wrong about this. But I, appreci- <laughs> but I, I appreciate her zeal and, 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 and enthusiasm. Um, do, do you think just, you know, one thing I, I was surprised about is that there are no Golden State Warriors on the team. I mean. 
clearly, you know how I feel. Seth Curry, I'm not a huge Seth Curry fan, but he could have taken um, uh, the first team. Uh, Harden, Harden's, Harden's place. Do you, do you feel anybody else should have been who was left out? Uh, Draymond Green said that he thought Kevin Durant. Oh, and Kevin Durant. How are you going to put – how you leave Kevin Durant out and put Harden in? Do you think – you know? do you agree with uh, Green that, that Durant and, uh, and or uh, Curry should have been on the first team? I can Durant and or Curry, but I think that – Durant's presence on the Warriors team has given him, like, an undertaking. Like, he's not the forefront guy anymore. He's on a team full of superstars. When he was with OKC, it was he and Russell Westbrook. Now, KD is on this team, and he has so many other people who are getting that type of shine that could easily take first team before him, even. I mean, he's still, of course, one of the greatest players in the NBA, so he would deserve to be on there. But it's hard to see him in the same cloud as Steph Curry or Draymond or other people on that team. So I think that that it hasn't hurt him because he's gone to a great team. And at the same time, his personal brand may have has it's 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 been diluted a little. Do, do you think you, you mentioned Wimpy? Do you think he uh, he made a wimpy move? No. By going to uh, no. getting his really? No, I don't. Well, you know what? I see it. It fits because if you like Harden, I mean, if you like Harden, then you <laughs> I like didn't that. Say I liked Harden. Huh? You did. Oh, wait, 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 you just raved about Harden. I didn't say I like the brother. <laughs> I just said that we can't close out his like ignore his season for this, but I didn't say that was my homie. <laughs> right. I, I think that's a, a really good point. I, I can't let you get away without talking about LeVar Ball. I, I know you heard the big controversy of him saying that the baller brand is only for women. You know, as a mom, what do you think about that? He's saying he, he's only going to work out for the Lakers. You know, what did you make of that? What did he say again? I haven't. I kind of start ignoring LeVar Ball at some point, but <laughs> it was too much. So right. Uh, he actually said that um, the baller brand, the, the big controversy, that it isn't for women. Um, I just believe it, it's a ploy for him to get his name back in the media. But um, he's saying that, you know, the brand about his sons and everything, it's not for women. So I was just wondering, like, how you felt about that as a mom and, and the whole of our ball situation of, you know, his interference with his son and his career. You know, I'm that hands-on helicopter mom. There's nothing that my daughter can't do. I'm like her biggest cheerleader. But at the same time, I'm not that trash-talking mom. I can be if I need to take up for her. But I'm not the one to put others down. So I think that that he's missing out on a really good demographic by saying, hey, it's not for women. It's his loss. Well, well, a couple things. I think that came in a Fox interview. Uh, oh, yeah. He was saying a woman, um, the white woman, by the way, and I think that's a very important distinction, said that, uh, well, don't you think women will be offended by a big baller brand, you know, making an obvious sort of sexual illusion? And he said, well, it's not, this brand isn't for women anyway. I don't know whether he meant that. Would you have been offended by that, by a big baller brand? Do you think that's a turnoff? I 
do in a way <laughs> but i'm like fine lavar because really it's it's he's it doesn't surprise me that he said that and not to give him a pass or excuse him from it. But um, I just think he's real missing out. Mm-hmm. If he wants to exclude women from this brand, that's his loss. Well, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get a pair of the, of the, uh, of this, the uh, $500 sneakers. <laughs> I'm serious. Do it. I know. Serious. In fact, as soon as we leave here, I'm going, but you got to go online. You can't, cause I actually, I was in Las Vegas, but I went to the store. Why do you want a pair though? The same reason that somebody would want to get a, um, I remember when Gucci's came out, first came out. You know, when you came when you came in with some Gucci's, everybody said, wow, that's just like with the, the Bentley convertible. Same reason people want a Bentley convertible. You I come, don't want a Bentley. Okay, what, uh, I'm just kidding. Yeah, see, but see, Bill, see, now this is the media. you buying these shoes, yeah. are you supporting LeVar Ball, though? Do Absolutely. You think that, so Absolutely. you think that women shouldn't wear it either? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't make, he has not made a woman's line. Yet, but women buy men's shoes all the time. So they should buy big. They should buy big ball shoes. Five hundred dollars. Listen, we we talked about this before. At least the brother's trying to get off the plantation. He's trying to get off the plantation. He's saying, "Listen, why why are you going to let Nike and Reebok and all that you know can, and UCLA exploit these kids? You know, if there's somebody's going to do the exploiting, I'm going to do the exploiting." Roden fellows, can I get an amen? No. Mm, yeah, I'm, I'm all, <laughs> okay. I'm all, all right, let, 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 <laughs> you on your own on that one. Sorry. <laughs> Listen, I, we want to ask because Kelly got it. We we, we want to ask. Um, you, know, you mentioned something while we were talking off mic about uh, you covering uh, the Grizzlies. It, it's been interesting uh, who you who you covering for because we are talking about we have that in common that we both start off with uh, you know black in the black media. You know, me with the Afro and then Ebony. And you start off, uh, you you had a, a, a black media lineage yourself, right? I did. When I first got out of J school, I covered healthcare, but my start in sports began with the black paper. It was the Tri-State Defender mm-hmm. in Memphis, the historically black paper. We were a sister paper to the Chicago Defender, so um, they gave me my first start. I ended up being the first woman to cover. Uh, as a beat writer for the Grizzlies, there were other women in the locker room, of course. Uh, I'm sorry, for the Tri-State Defender and who covered the Grizzlies altogether. There were other women who were broadcast or radio, but I was the first female beat writer there. So um, the black paper gave me my start when no one else would answer the call. I didn't have that traditional journalism path. I was a working mom, so I didn't have any internships. Mm. Um you would have been a Roden fellow. I would have been happy to be a Roden well, fellow. But, 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 but where'd you go? You didn't go to HBCU, though. No, I didn't. I went to University of Memphis. So um, I couldn't work an internship because I didn't have the time to do it. I was a little older because I went part-time most of the first few years of school. So um, I had to pay bills. You know, I had to support this kid. So I couldn't work anybody's internship. And when I did on the weekends, no one wants a 29-year-old intern. Mm. So um, I didn't have that traditional experience that a lot of people have. Most of my experience, it was on the job. So in order for me to get my foot in the door, the first season, I was a beat writer, Mm. but I wasn't getting paid. Mm. Wow. But I needed those clips for sports. And I was willing to do that because I had a full-time job. So I had 
I was covering healthcare during the day and sports at night mm. and on lunch because I would go to practice and I would go to pregame, postgame. Um, second season, same thing. Year three, third season, I was getting paid a little bit of money. By the fourth season, I was full time. I left healthcare by that time, and um, I was their full time beat writer. What, what, what was it about sports uh, that that grabbed you? I mean, you could have gone the other way. You could have gone to the dark side and gone to the news side. But what was it about sports that that, that grabbed you? That made you want to continue? Was it, was it the gig, or was it that you really there was something about? the sports and the competition, something that grabs you? For me, sports represented my grind. It represented me. It represented who I was. It represented how I moved. Mm. It represented how I scrapped every day to make sure I put food on my table. Mm. And for sports, they're on the field, they're working hard, they're fighting, and I felt like that was a representation of me. So Mm. if I could tell those Mm. stories in a way where people could actually understand it a little differently, I was willing to do that. And I was willing to tell those stories that weren't just, I was, I was a beat writer, but I own my beat. So Mm -hmm. I just didn't go to the games and leave it alone. I was the only beat writer who would go to some of the community events. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the only beat writer when the players were paying people's light bills or Mm -hmm. buying groceries for people. I was right there on the ground to cover those stories as well. So the players were used to seeing me see them in another light. So they knew me and they would say, Hey Kelly, we're going to read the kids tomorrow. Will Mm -hmm. you be there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll be there. What time? Which school? You know, let me find the press release. Of course I'll be there. And then for that to be the black paper, that was the only paper digging in on the ground in a predominantly black city, that really helped. So our paper was able to do those things. So I found stories that people weren't covering. You know, I could write a game, a post-game story in my sleep. Mm. But what else is going on other than the post-game story? You know, what happened in the locker room that Mm. we can't see? I know what happened during the game, but what are they saying that we aren't hearing? So I would go to both locker rooms. I wouldn't just go to the Grizzlies locker room. I would go to the Lakers locker room. You know, I would ask Kobe questions and incorporate those things in my story because I knew I didn't want to be known as that local girl. Mm. When I Now when I interviewed Ray Allen two weeks ago, first thing he said was, I know you, you're a long way from home, you <laughs> know, right, and I was right. able to tell him, yeah, I'm with ESPN now. So that's what I wanted to do. That's great. That's that's great. You know, um, we, and that's a great lesson that you've just given to 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 the, the fellows who are 19, 20, 21 years <laughs> old. I mean, seriously, about right. about um, really being tough, digging, going beyond the obvious, but but just the grind, like you said, the grind. Right. You know, kind of gets back to what you said about the wimpy generation. Sometimes we give, you can give people so much, and that it takes the hunger away. But that that's that's really a, a. I hope you guys were taking notes, with <laughs> Kelly. Kelly, that was that, that that was tremendous. Um, our guest has been uh, Kelly D. Evans. She's the uh, writer and editor of the Uplift on the Undefeated website, and you really should check it out because um, you've done a, really, a lot of really great things on on the website, uh, and not just sports, but a whole range of of things. So um, I really hope you come back. We, we've got we're gonna talk a lot of WNBA and just your career has just been fascinating but thank you for coming through and um, look forward to having you back thank you so much for having me alright we'll take a break 
And when we come back, we'll be talking about freedom of speech. Welcome back to HBCU 468. If you're just now joining us, I'm Bill Roden, and I'm here with three of the Roden Fellows, Paul Holston from Howard, Mania Shabazz from Grambling, and Kyla Wright from Hampton University. Uh, commencement season is coming to a close, and we've all heard about how the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVoe, was booed during her visit to Bethune-Cookman College in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, Texas Southern University in Houston canceled Senator John Cornyn's uh, commencement speech because of student protests. Uh, on the line, we've got Will Sutton, who's the director of communications at Grambling State University, uh, and, and he's here to discuss how free speech is handled uh, specifically at Grambling State, but just sort of in general, uh, the theory of free speech. Hey, Will, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your uh, having the time to have me on. I appreciate it. Uh, before we start, Mania, Kyla, Paul, what did you think about your commencement speakers? Hi, this is Mania from Grambling. We had Johnny Taylor, the president and CEO of the Third Good Marshall um, College Fund, come to our campus, and I thought it was um, very enlightening. And it was very funny because at the beginning he pointed out how he wasn't um, the first pick um, for to come to our commencement ceremony. But in light of that, you know, he was just saying how he's happy that he did get to speak. He was talking about how the graduates are the future of HBCUs in itself, how they have to make sure that they keep it alive and, and come back. And he just wanted to make a point that we were there to celebrate the greatness that is HBCUs and, and what they can do for our university. And he also um, pointed out how the Thurgood Marshall Fund, you know, their their purpose is to advocate for the need of HBCUs because a lot of people feel that there isn't a need for HBCUs anymore. So he was just further advocating the fact that, that there definitely is, and those graduates are responsible for showing that. Mm. Kyla, what did you think? We had um, a Hampton alum and hidden figure, which she's best known for, Katherine Johnson, who was one of the mathematicians from NASA. She gave a very memorable speech. Though I was not in attendance, a lot of the graduates talked about how powerful her speech was, and I actually saw it online as it was being streamed. And she told the graduates and the people in attendance at the graduation just to be a positive influence in their lives as they go out into the world because everyone knows that you're a Hampton grad so clearly you know something with that degree with that illustrious name behind you but in lieu of that it she was just telling everyone that you know something but do something with the information that you know because if you don't do anything with your knowledge then there's no fun in being knowledgeable about anything so she she gave her words of wisdom and it was a it was a great speech uh, well, what, what's the, the, the criteria uh, for a good commencement speaker? What, what, makes, what makes them a good fit or not? Well, that certainly varies from institution to uh, institution. Uh, here at Gramlin, we like to have people who have some prominence, uh, somebody who will uh, give our graduates a, uh, a good charge, uh, for uh, completing uh, this undergraduate study and uh, give them a charge for uh, going out into the real world and uh, 
starting their lives and their careers, with the house for exception, have gone on to graduate or professional schools. Uh, we want to have somebody who uh, is going to uh, add something to uh, this uh, special occasion, and you want to have somebody who uh, the the graduates will uh, pay attention to, uh, somebody who will say something that matters, and uh, uh, have somebody who uh, can add some gravitas to the university in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Have, have you ever been in a situation, Will, where you've you've had to, you've invited somebody and then disinvited them, or considered disinviting somebody? Uh, I have not been in that situation, uh, and I think what's um, uh, changed about the commencement speakers uh, uh, in recent uh, couple of years is really about social media, uh, because for a long time, as you know, Bill. Uh, we might hear so-and-so was going to speak, uh, or we didn't hear that, and we only heard uh, about them speaking after the fact or uh, perhaps reading it in uh, a newspaper, but there was no such thing as online. Uh, These days, uh, commencement speakers are announced in advance, and it's broadly uh, dispatched, and uh, people have an opportunity to weigh in whether they like that or, or dislike that. And in some cases, uh, commencement speakers have been disinvited. Now, there hasn't been a lot of that at uh, HBCUs, but majority institutions have had quite a bit of that. And that uh, resulted in uh, something that's called the uh, Chicago Principles out of the University of Chicago. And uh, that policy um, is really about no matter who speaks, we're going to respect their point of view. And uh, it's more about the individual community member as opposed to the collective community member. To my knowledge, there's no HBCU that has adopted the Chicago principles. And I think the only public institution that has is Purdue University. Uh, So it's a little different approach for how they want to operate. And uh, more times than not, commencement speakers are either in sync with those institutions or uh, maybe challenging them at the edges as opposed to uh, diametrically opposed to what others might see that they stand for. Hey, hey, hey Paul, uh, Paul Holston, Howard, um, states across the country like Wisconsin, Texas, North Carolina are considering uh, new legislation that regulates free speech on campuses. Tennessee just passed a law that would stop public colleges from disinviting speakers based on their controversial viewpoints or from charging student groups higher security fields, uh, fees to host speakers expected to trigger protests. What do you think about that? Is that fair? Is that right, Paul? Hey, Bill, this is Paul from Howard. Um, I think it really depends on the type of speech that is given on the campus. Um, you know, you have special guest speakers where they come on for certain events you have commencement speakers that come based off the commencement of a graduate. And I think it really depends on, like, again, the type. Like, such as a commencement, personally, me as a student, I feel that should be more, um, although it's not necessarily controlled by the students, I feel that the students should have some type of uh, say-so into the type of, you know, person that is coming to their graduation speech to give them that motivation as they go into that real world, you know. And 
in the same breath, you know, if you have a controversial person coming on campus for an event, that still, I feel, is something that still is needed because we shouldn't shy away from opposing views at the same time. Now, depending on how they go about it, like they did at uh, Bethune-Cookman, you know, there was already different conversations before her arrival saying that they didn't want her to come. The students already expressed that they didn't want her to come. But, you know, administration, I, again, I don't know necessarily how the conversation went between administration and students, but clearly you saw the result of what happens when there is a disconnect in communication. Um, so again, I personally feel that there should be controversial, you know, viewpoints from different stances because it just challenges not only, you know, the admin, but also the students as well. You know, you don't always want to, you always, you, you always don't want people that you necessarily agree on to come um, to campus. You, you do want people with opposing views so that way you could also challenge them while they're there, you know, in an intellectual way, you know, so that's, that's, that's my personal opinion on that. And this, this is a question, uh, Will, for you and for Mania, who's a student at Grambling. In 2013, uh, Grambling State's football team boycotted the homecoming game with Jackson State uh, because of a number of grievances, uh, including poor weight training equipment, the firing of a, of a head coach. Um, in, in retrospect, do you think the university handled it the right way? And were there any policies that were put into place um, in case it happened again? Okay, well, um, uh, I was here then. And it was uh, an unfortunate uh, set of circumstances. Uh, I will say that uh, a lot of that goes to whoever is the leader in charge at a given given time, and that person's style and and philosophy. Uh, there are some uh, uh, common thoughts in the sports world that uh, the right time to get rid of a coach is before the season or after a season. Uh, but then there are others who say the right time when you make the decision. Uh, that's what happened with the president at the time. He felt like the right time was the time that he made the decision, and it was early in the season, and he did not want to wait because he wanted to uh, go ahead and make that move, uh, realizing that it would be uh, uh, controversial uh, because of uh, the coach being an alum and the coach being uh, very prominent. And uh, but he decided that that was the approach that he wanted to take, uh, certainly not expecting the uh, level of backlash from uh, the team and then the uh, number of things that that happened. So uh, in terms of uh, handling the situation, uh, I think we did uh, pretty well with what was an unexpected situation. It was kind of crisis communication. Uh, and the reality of uh, dealing with something like that is you should, uh, first of all, acknowledge that it happened and uh, acknowledge your role with it and then go on and communicate about uh, what's going on and, and, and next steps. So the university did do that, and uh, it wasn't going to really settle down until a new coach was named, which was uh, Broderick Fobbs, who's uh, still our coach. Uh, so uh, that, that, that was a little different type of thing. There, there were various discussions about uh, whether uh, students on the team uh, should uh, have uh, that type of freedom to speak or to act. Uh, and, uh, again, the leader was uh, the one who uh, had the uh, big say. 
and uh, he said it's, if that's their point of view, he, he thinks they should voice it. And that, uh, so that, that's part of, of the decision-making uh, with that leader. So there, there certainly were uh, some uh, arguments that uh, if you're an enrolled student, then perhaps uh, this was not uh, the way that uh, students should behave or talk about those things in this way. Uh, but uh, he was the leader at the time, and, and he decided that uh, uh, they, they should have the right to, to speak and that we should just uh, deal with the uh, situation. Mm -hmm. hey, uh, you know, Will, I know you've you, you got to run. Just, just before we let you uh, go, how has this whole idea of freedom of speech changed since you first uh, assumed the job and, and came to Grambling? Um, you know, between walking that fine line between free speech, the iron fist, and sort of discourse? Well, um, free speech is, is uh, a given based on our, uh, our Constitution and our, our, our Bill of Rights, but it all comes to a matter of interpretation for a lot of people. Uh, and the other thing is that uh, higher institute, education, higher in institutions, uh, have policies and guidelines, and so there are things that somebody might see as free speech uh, that uh, would violate a university policy. So I'll just give an exaggerated example. So somebody might decide that I have something I want to say, so I am going to go to all of my classes buck naked today. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to go buck naked because that's going to be my message. Well, that would be violation of our student dress code. So that individual may perceive it as freedom of speech, but it would be in, in direct violation of our student dress code, and so uh, that would be something that would not be allowed. And most universities would have a policy that would cover something like that. When, when you look at something like uh, what happened at Bethune-Cookman, I think there's a difference between protest and debate and uh, what someone might consider respectful protest or effective protest, uh, because you can uh, protest and be disruptive. Uh, you can protest and be vocal. You can protest and not say anything but have your message across, get across. And I think that's part of what we're looking at with situations like that. If somebody is invited to a commencement, do you allow them to speak and protest by turning your back on them, by making noise when they talk, by cussing when they talk? I mean, so where's the line for levels of respect? And so part of that is an individual decision, but in case of Bethune-Cookman, I think that's a collective uh, decision and people are going to have disagreements about that. So some people would rather not deal with the issue at all, uh, and others would say that, uh, well, it's a commencement. It's quasi-mandatory participation because families want to see their uh, relatives walk across that stage and at a really momentous occasion, and so there shouldn't be somebody who's going to disrupt it. Maybe that person should be invited to another type of event on campus and not necessarily a commencement. Hmm. Our guest has been 
Will Sutton, who's the Director of Communications at Grambling State University. Hey, Will, thank you so much for uh, for stopping by, man. It's really uh, great enlightenment. And thanks for everything you've done also with the Roden Fellows. When we come back, our fellows will give you a little piece of their mind. You consider this. We'll be right back. We're back with Consider This. Paul Holston leads off. NFL wide receiver Andrew Hawkins recently earned his master's degree from Columbia University in sports management in an inspirational fashion. The 31-year-old from Johnston, Pennsylvania, graduated with a 4.0 GPA for one of the most prestigious universities in the country. On his latest Instagram post, Hawkins is shown with his cap and gown with his cap having the words, just as smart as I am quick emphasizing both his 40-yard dash time and grade point average. According to the NFL Players Association, the average NFL career lasts 3.3 years. According to a paper published by the National Bureau of Economic Research, 78% of players go broke within three years of retirement. So young athletes, consider this. Don't let the professional league stop you from pursuing further education. Always have a backup plan and learn from Hawkins' example. If Hawkins can earn his master's degree, so can you and more. Running fast is great, but as the late Nelson Mandela said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. Thanks, Paul. Mania Shabazz with Grambling. High school junior Nicole Orr was told that she needed to change her natural hair because it was against dress code policy at the private Monteverde Academy in Lake County, Florida. After her parents referred to the school handbook, they noticed the phrase dread-like and were immediately taken aback. The headmaster, Casey Kesserling, explained the school was looking for a neat and organized look and dreadlocks were not a part of the issue. Even though she acknowledged that the phrase needed to be removed, she still misses the point that natural hair can be neat and organized. This is obviously code for straight or pulled back and I don't need to straighten my hair to look professional. Women of other races can wear what grows out of their scalp naturally, so why can't Nicole? Therefore, some African-American females possess that preconceived notion that frying their hair follicles are the standard of beauty. Consider this. The texture of your hair follicles does not determine the level of presentability. It's about how we change society's acceptability. Thanks, Mania. Uh, Kyla from Hampton. Some predominantly white institutions have caused a stir on social media because they've held graduations specifically for their African-American students. These events are called black graduation. The University of Michigan, Harvard, and others have proudly hosted these graduations, and some of black Twitter isn't here for it. They're considering it segregation. A 2017 Harvard grad disagreed by saying that black grad is simply nothing but celebrating black excellence, and I agree. People think that minority students aren't graduating with their majority counterparts, but that's not true. Ideally, there are two graduations. Yes, two celebrations, one large one and one black one. The more the merrier, right? The black graduations aren't about being anti-white, but pro-black. This is a recognition and appreciation of the black student. This is the very reason why I chose to attend my historically black college, Hampton University. It's 2017. It's time for us to celebrate together as brothers and sisters without pulling each other down. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468. This show is produced by Aaron Mathewson. Tony Chow and Jorge Estrada are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as All Day, What Are Those, and Morning Roast 
by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.